0: Rack a brew. What's up, everybody? This is Cracker Brew Smoke A Few. This is episode 15. This is the movie script. We got my dad, the foe, Dennis Paulson. We have Matt over here, TML, and we got Gabe, aka the Pokemon Master. Absolutely. Oh oh my god, really? (laughs) Yeah.
1: We got DP, the coach, the legend, the foe, the author. Hopefully, soon to be movie. All right, what do we got? And y'all know me, B Reggie. B Reggie. It's so good. All right, (laughs) shoot away, boys, shoot away. I got my brew. So, So, I have
0: one first question first. Um, I wanted to know how uh, the town went crazy for football. What was the town like for football?
1: So, when we grew up, it was uh, uh, in those days, we had social conflict too, like we're having right now in modern times. So, it's actually a good question because back then it was about rich and poor. You know, it was uh, white collar, blue collar. So, uh, uh, bosses were considered realtors, engineers, doctors people with college degrees. Yeah. That was white collar. Everyone else was blue collar. So after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, uh, you know, Roosevelt had uh, had Kaiser come here, build a steel mill 50 miles from L.A., 65 miles from the ocean. Steel and mill. when he did that, he had um, 12 million people moved to San Bernardino and Riverside County and had stuff to do with steel. It was taking two weeks to get steel from Pittsburgh by train to San Francisco just to build one ship. So he said that's way too fucking long. We got to build supply ships and supply ships, or we would bring our guns, our tanks, and our food to World War II. So we were in a hurry. So eight months after they bombed, they bombed Pearl Harbor. They built, they started uh, building the steel mill in Fontana, California, because of the ground area in Colton and Fontana had a lot of limestone and aura and all this different stuff. So anyway. So then that kind of just shows how much historical value that Fontana has. Yeah, believe it in or not. Country. But before that, it was even a little more substantial, which we'll get into just anyway. So the rivalry, what we were talking about on your original question as I got sidetracked with my drunk ass. The story, <laughs> what, what, like
0: how crazy was the city? For oh, myself. yeah. So the
1: city was crazy because...
0: Because you guys said you guys had a small yeah, city, right? So there was rivalry. such a big city.
1: No, the bosses lived like in Riverside, Ontario, and Redlands, which I consider... Like the population. Yeah, and they built the first steel mill, uh, the first Kaiser Hospital on Kaiser Steel. Okay? For the employees. They had really the first HMO. We'll get into that another day. So anyway, uh, everyone that were Blue Collar Town, it was a blue collar town, and all the workers from 52 to 72, when they opened the first high school, uh, had to play the bosses' kids. Every year they had a company picnic and the bosses' kids would kick the coat. That means Chafee. The Chafee kids, because that's where Fontana kids went before they opened Fontana High School
0: yeah.
1: was Chafee. So the Chafee kids and the Redland's kids would kick Fontana's ass in football. And then every year, you know, and Fontana was built of like Hell's Angels, you know, KKK, Black Panthers, Mexican Mafia, Italian. It was a badass, well-diverse town, you know. That's what, a little melting pot. Yeah, it was a melting pot. But they all respected each other through sports. But that the one thing they had incredible. in common was they wanted to kick the white-collar people's ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they couldn't do it. They lost 20 years in a row. So anyway. That's kind of the story. So they they went crazy in the football games. So that's getting a little ahead of time. We'll get back to it in a second. I'll explain to that. So that's, that's kind of the just, the background on it.
0: Explain how crazy the town was. <laughs> a little bit. It was crazy. But that, that was the reason. Yeah, yeah. What do you got, Brad? What do you got for me? I don't know. So I could ask any of these questions right here or what?
1: Anything you want, buddy. Okay, so what's the Pauly's House 2000? Oh, on the script? So, so we're talking about my movie script. So in the movie, I made it like a Benjamin Button, which covers like uh, you know 26 years. I made the coaches the main characters. So mm-hmm. present day in the movie is 99 2000 is when the streak ends. Yeah. Okay, it ends on a coin flip. So in my house, uh, in 2000, I'm telling the story of how uh, you know Richard Smith is coming. Who was dad was an adit. At Colton was the was the uh, a Redlands guy and Fontana guys hated Redlands, but he just won five six CIF championships in six years. You know how hard that is. Yeah, three with Markham and two on his own. So in a six year period, he was the champion. So and that year 2000, I was going to Bloomington High School, and and also something he did. They used to go to full contact camps where everyone would, would wear. Pads and they would go to like a college, like Fresno State, yeah. and they would meet like eight other schools and they'd play like football games. Before you were allowed to play them, yeah. so it was crazy. But that's how they would get prepared, and that's how he won his five CIF championships. So, Pauly's house is the house, uh, my house in 2000, and you were a little kid there, Bradley, probably nine, ten, and I'm telling the story in present day, and then I go through flashbacks. So every time a horn goes off or someone's honking a horn or horn at the steel mill or horn at the game, that brings us back to a flashback. And it'll go a few times then it brings you back to the seventies or bring you back to the eighties. The coaches are all the same, but the players change. So I tried to make it different because they've always do the one year wonder football movies, you know, and I'm sick of the one year wonder. Okay. From worst to first, it's a journey to build a program. And I wanted to show the journey. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's my that's a little
0: uh, my one one of my questions is, what the fuck? Like I know that like and I've heard it my entire life playing football in Redlands that Foe High was one of the toughest teams. Like everybody knew that it was like a well known thing. Everybody knew about that. But what the hell is tackle basketball?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> so check this out. So my cousin would tell me stories. I was about Brody's age when I was co- I was um nine or ten years old and my cousin was ten years older than me he moved here from Minnesota when he was nine or ten Mm -hmm. my family was all a big farm family Uh, my dad's side the Paulson side and uh, Embry they were all uh, Wisconsin short horn short uh, horn um, cattle you know farmers and there was 15 brothers and sisters and 127 cousins. So during the war, they came out from Pennsylvania, a whole town and Wisconsin and Nebraska, and they all came out here to help our country for the war to build this steel mill and build all this crazy thing. That's why it's such a historic story. It's more of a period piece, but it's also a football story. Yeah. So I wanted to try to touch base on that. So what you were asking originally was, um, what was the... Uh,
0: Tackle basketball. Tackle
1: basketball. So this coach comes in. From Oklahoma, he's from Stillwater. His name's John Tyree. He's 82 years old still, and he's still trying to coach. He's a crazy old dude. He was a Marine, but he would so in the old days they wanted to coach in Division One. But before he could coach Division One, you had to go in Division 99, which was the smaller schools in like Indio, Palm Springs. All these little small town farm areas. So he goes out there, builds a name for himself. 74, they bring him in. He comes in and brings his other coach named Christopher, who ends up being a stud in San Diego, a great coach. And he's also the coach that coach Ronnie Lott for four years. And he left Fontana when Bruick came in 75. But anyway, he did these team-building build, team games. And team-building games were tackle basketball. So it was like Spear the Queer. So it'd be like ten on ten or eight on eight. My cousin would tell me, and they would play basketball. So it was basketball to ten. But what they were teaching guys is to get to the ball. Yeah. So if you had the ball, you were live to get hit and to get tackled. So they would it was grab jungle him. ball. <laughs> it was jungle ball. You didn't have to dribble. You could run with the ball, do it. But so if the guy had the ball, you could hit him or tackle him, and he could score. However, you got to ten. But the minute, so the goal was you could only hit him if he had the ball. And if you hit him when he didn't have the ball, it was a penalty. Yeah. So if he threw the ball before you hit him, then their team would get it like a free shot or something. Oh, yeah. So it was a crazy fucking team building game they did. And I guess it caused fights. The coaches would get involved too. So that's what I was told as a little kid. So I wanted to show that in the movies because it was such a crazy fucking story. That's <laughs> tackle basketball. Tackle <laughs> awesome. basketball. You know, no dribbling. It was just like, so it was like Spear the Queer with the fucking, you know, squirt <laughs> to 10.
0: All right, next. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on a good question. Um, I want to know how the slap hit the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and how the slap became famous. Like slap how-
1: was started in like 1978, 79 by Dick Bruick and Ron Smith. Ron Smith was an ex-pro football player that Bruick brought in to from Sarah High School. It's now it's a powerhouse, hmm. so he was from Sarah High School in the '70s. And Bruick brings him in to be his offense coordinator. So after a couple years, yeah, they uh, they uh, they want to discipline the kids, and our town is tough. The kids are tough, they're all still mill kids, you know, just mean-ass kids, mean-ass Mexicans, mean-ass brothers, mean-ass, you know, white boys, they were all mean, okay? <laughs> at the drop of the dime, you could get your ass kicked at any day, and I.E., period, you know what I mean? So, there was a thousand badasses, there wasn't one. So anyway, um, Bruick, start, Bruick and these guys uh, started this, and it's in the LA Times in 1982, if you ever look it up, in 60 Minutes, CBS Sports does a story on it with Dan Rather. It's crazy, so it's in 1982. So what happened was, Bruick decides that they want to do an O-line thing, or Ron Smith says, okay, if the O-line jumps off or D-line jumps off sides, you got to put your hand behind your head, go elbow to elbow. Brad, you want to slap me? No. Okay, good. I, I won't tell you, Dave, and you guys, you guys. So the rule was, you were supposed to crack the guy from elbow to elbow. Yeah. So you got to put your hand from elbow to elbow and to slap him. him. So they did it as a deterrent, so you wouldn't jump off sides and get penalty. So in 1979, they made it a official team rule. And that was the rule. So even in practice or games, if you got in trouble and jumped off sides, you would uh, have to get slapped. And it looked like that on the cover. Flip the back. You got it like that? Yeah, that's what it looked like. Yeah, yeah that's what it looks like.
0: Yeah, it was cool. So anyway. You can put it closer to the camera. He did. He did. Nah, here right. here. Okay.
1: So uh, it gets famous in 1982. I get slapped three times in a game and ejected <laughs> on my third personal against Burbank, which is the Division Two state champs, and Seattle champs. So, But in the 80s, early 80s, uh, the mecca, the TV mecca, the radio mecca, the media mecca was in Burbank. And we're playing in Burbank. So when I got slapped three times in that game, the following week, I was ejected, not allowed to play the game. broke, maybe play JV. And um, they made, uh, they came out, the LA Times came out and started interviewing the guys. And they interviewed players on our team. And they made me play in a JV game. And they never interviewed me. And I'm the guy that got slapped three times the week before. They didn't want to interview me. I go, they fucking fucked up shit. No. But anyway, so, I mean, I didn't make it famous. But, you know, I was just the guy that was on the receiving end of when it was in Burbank. And it happened to be three times in one game. So, from that, it, it got national attention. So, people would come out not to watch us play, just to see how crazy we were. So, originally, before we got tough, they go, these fuckers are stupid or they're crazy or they're tough yeah. as hell. It. Smack, <laughs> so, it was cool, you know, and it went on. I thought it went on for 15-20 years, Brooks says it only went on for 10, yeah. so I don't know. It's whoever you want to believe. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Right? Oh yeah. So, yeah. that's that's kind of a little backstory on the slap. And then it took off in 1982, so if you go in the archives of the LA Times, you have to pay for that article, but it's actually in there. Crazy. So, anyway, who's up? Gabe, Brad.
0: It's me. The next question, all of that, all, everything that you said right now is awesome to me because it just gives me a little bit of a history on everything that's gone gone on in these cities. But, the, yeah. but another thing that I want to kind of, you know, ask about is flipping off Colton game. Oh, yeah. Like, what was <laughs> going on with that? Like, that was what? Where, you know, with the whole team just walked out
1: like, time God. out. <laughs> it went, it went <laughs> like that. So at the time, we had the number one <laughs> running back. At the time, we had the number one running back in the nation. His name, uh, we're in California, at least. His name was Randy Colbert. And Colton had won a CIF championship, but a Division II championship in 79. And Fontana hadn't played Colton since 79. And Fontana was the only team that beat him that year. And so all these guys worked at the steel mill. And rumor has it, there was like $400,000 bet on that game. In nineteen eighty one. Like five dollars, ten dollars at the steel They would bet their Christmas bonus checks. And the Christmas bonus checks would be anywhere from a thousand to five thousand dollars. So they didn't really bet their old weekly check, but they would take money out of their bonus check. So as little kids, we were told if we didn't win this game, we weren't gonna get Christmas. And I didn't understand what they meant until like ten years later, yeah. that they meant that they were betting their Christmas checks on the game. <laughs> so we didn't know that, you know, as kids. But we would hear a friend say, uh, I'm not getting Christmas. We don't want to. What the fuck are you talking about? Five hundred not getting
0: Christmas. So what happened is
1: yeah. Bruick decides, and, and whether they want to admit this or not, this is what really happened. We warmed up in Fontana. We got the school police, Al and Cindy, and then they got in their cars and the game was going to be playing at Colton. It was fucking uh, 10,000 people standing room only because this was the game. This was the game that was going to win league championship. And they were good that year. They Actually, they went to the state championship and lost to St. Paul that year. That's oh, wow. how they good they were. And their O-line was bigger than SCs and the Rams. They had 300 pounders across the line. Wow. So I was a junior that year. We had a stud. That was my best team was my junior year. Them guys were beast. So anyway, these guys... Uh, we're going to Colton, and all of a sudden, brute waits till seven it's a o'clock. High
0: school football team, you guys, with the three hundred pound line yeah, across the yeah. board, and they were badass. A high school football. Yeah, it's in,
1: team. it's in, it's in the, and it's in the <laughs> newspapers. They, they seen, and they went to the state championship there, so they beat us fourteen seven. But in the game, before the game, they not only beat us, they knocked out our running back, who was the number one running back in the state, Randy Coburn, and they blew out his knee, and he played the whole fourth quarter with a blown knee. And they ended up having a ligament surgery, and he was done. But they beat us. Um, so before the game, Bruce makes us warm up till 6.50 in Fontana. The game's at 7.30. We jump on a bus. We get a police escort, and he drives us to the field. And at 7.25, five minutes before the game, no warm-ups, nothing, Brody. We drive onto the track. We get off on the track. Everyone gets off the bus. It's a true fucking story. We walk across the field on the 50-yard line. The whole team flips off. The Colton stands. And we walk back. <laughs> We Bullshit. walk back to the field. The bus leaves the fucking field, and we get our kickoff team, and we start the game. Light you talk light. about lighting a fire. We fucked we up on that one because we lit that fire. We, no, lit, we lit that fire. Parked on, the goddamn parked on their track, walked up. That's a true you guys story.
0: Threw, you guys threw. lit cigarettes on a fucking pile of hay. So that's the, that's the Colton story. Is
1: that a crazy story? There were stories you want to see, man, in a movie. You yeah. know, you can't make that shit up. That's badass yeah, that's shit. The shit right that's here. the Colton story. Is that badass? Yeah, and I've seen shit. it happen again. 1984 against Riverside Poly, that happened twice. so both times, Fontana lost, <laughs> and Poly beat him in the state championship that year. But Fontana was always in the state. Yeah. You know they were there. You yeah, know they man. went to the state championship in '76 too, and they lost. So, all shit, right, so, yeah. so how about that one? That's, that's a, ba- that's a bad- badass that's story. A that's when you hear <laughs> legendary stories. Le- the field walk was legendary. I'll tell you that one later. That's that. So what's that? Give me another one On so the front. on the back. Um, Ike, Ike Baby 1987 Oh, about. man. So, man. Eisenhower was... Uh, they named him after the president, uh, Eisenhower. So when they opened the school, Eisenhower was a tough school. Ronnie Lott went there. Christopher was there. Had a lot of good coaches. The Hulks made him powerhouses in 80s. So, in uh, the... Vanilla Ice comes out on the scene and at the time Vanilla Ice is playing local groups and he was accepted by the black community and he was just trying to you know he wrote the song when he was like 15 I saw a documentary on it one time he wrote the song when he was 15 and it didn't get made until he was 18 and he had to borrow money to make his video and uh, it was a low budget video and it was badass but when it hit the scene everyone thought he was black and then they Found out he was white, white people started loving him, and black people loving him. Everyone, mm-hmm. him. so he really blew rap music up when people don't know. So that song took off, and for like I don't know how many weeks it was number one forever. So Eyes now being Ike sounded like ice. They they take the song and run with it, so they change the words and they're their not the are, vibe. Yeah, no, no, they get the yeah. vibe changing they, the words, not the vibe. Right? Yeah, that's right. They go, so, <laughs> they, so they're right. So they go, Ike, Ike, baby. Ike. so when he went to the school. In those years when that song, whenever that year that song came out, uh eighty eight or eighty seven, whenever it came out, they changed their music to uh and they changed their name to the Ike Mob. And it, they would play that song. So you run in their field, they'd stand up, there'd be five thousand people from Rialto going, Ike, Ike, baby, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. I was like, damn. I, and but that gives me another story. I got to tell you a story real quick. Side note on this, Ike, I, baby. I was playing Carson to LA when I was a sophomore, and our JV team was supposed to go play him. They sent our sophomore team, bro, because they don't want to give anything away. And Carson was like one of the best teams in the state. So we go out to Carson, and they're counting the black guys when we get off the bus. That's the first time I ever saw a Samoan. And these motherfuckers are big, and they're scary. And we're 10th graders, and they're varsity sitting against the fence. They're spitting on us. They're going, I wish I was damn. in the game. I'd be stabbing you, fucking. Prejudice bastards are like, we ain't prejudiced. we're playing football. So we go out a JV game. There's like one side of the stands, I'd say 4,000 people, at a JV game in the daytime. We're tied 14 14. They got ripaway jerseys. It's the first time I saw a way jersey. Braddy, they got an all black band that comes out and they're playing queen. So how- <laughs> we're in a JV game. We're at a JV game. Halftime, okay, Brady. There's 4,000, they got queen. You know what they're playing? Dun, 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 dun. And another one, and another one, and another one bites the dust. So another one bites the dust in a fucking JV game with electric guitars. I was like, this is the baddest ass. School. LA did it big, you know. You know, we're I didn't I never played it, you know a real LA game, but it was scary. <laughs> we're just happy to get out of there, get on the bus. So they came back the next day, and we started. Their band walked around on our home side. And our people were throwing apples at them and sodas on them, and it was crazy. They beat us fourteen seven, but. It was, it was badass. So that was the Ike, Ike story. So it was a rivalry. Every town in the IE was badass. Well Let me give you an, a, an idea. In 11 years, there were five state championships.
0: Man.
1: Five state champs out of three teams. Riverside Poly won two, Fontana won two, and Eisenhower won one. That's how tough the IE was. Okay, so the IE was the the... And they were the what do you want to call called football mecca for California. You know what I mean? Anyway, next. All right, good question. Yeah, right, my one of my questions.
0: of my <laughs> questions is? When you were a freshman and you just first joined the football team. Well, here's the deal. When I you talked to... up.
1: I know. The first time you got uh, the slap. Oh, yeah, scary. scary. What was that like? That was scary. Well, mine was a little different because I didn't get under the varsity until my sophomore, going into my junior year. So at Fontana High School in the '80s, was um, uh, it was tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Yes. So ninth grade was still junior high. Yeah. So they changed it. So in ninth grade we didn't. So in tenth grade I just played on because if you didn't go off for spring ball, you didn't get a chance to play at the varsity. Brooke didn't give you Mm -hmm. a chance. So if you didn't do spring ball, he didn't let you play. So, you know, you didn't want to go out for spring ball. You didn't get to play. Came to our school. We asked if we wanted to play. I didn't go. <clears throat> so I had to play sophomore. you want to decide I, I want to play. So my sophomore year, I go out to play on the uh, the varsity team, okay? And I got moved up at the end of my sophomore year. They, they moved up like 10 guys, eight guys. So I was one of the guys that got moved up. And, uh, and there was like 10 other guys. And Keith Truex, Joe Smith, a bunch of us. So we, Jimmy Jones. But it was scary. Yabara's all those guys. So, um. Spring football. Matter of fact, my first day of spring football uh was a little different. I I didn't even tell the story in the book because I don't want to throw the coaches or anyone under the bus But um, they tried to get me to quit because I was a loudmouth. You know, I talked shit and I became a coach for twenty years and I realized as a player you can't talk shit. Right? So um you got slapped, it was scary. Okay. Uh, Because you you know, you don't know you don't know what to expect and they were supposed to hit you from elbow to elbow. That motherfuckers Brung it. (laughs) (laughs) Robbie Ellis busted my lip open. When I told you I got hit three times, he he knuckled me and they had other gloves that were like MMA gloves. And when he got sweat on them, they got hard. He punched me my third time. I got ejected and it split my lip open, but I couldn't do anything because I was kicked out of the game. And then I get to the sidelines. Brooke says, you'll never play varsity football ever again. And so I ended up playing, but I, I had to, JV for a week and put me it was crazy you know I was humility when your coach brings you out yeah, but you know I, I cost the team a game you know so I was a selfish player but my junior sophomore you going to my junior year uh, they run a weak side ISO so in IBAX that's weak side blast mm-hmm. okay I was a weak side backer me and Robbie Ellis are in there so they want to see how tough I am so Frankie Lopez was a senior Jeff Reagan Jeff Irvin went to Wyoming PJack was a fullback went to Colorado Randy Coburn went to North Texas but at the time he was the number one Brady running back first All-American ever at Fontana so they run at me 14 plays in a row but the first play they run over they run me over and I'm holding a bag like an arm shield and they punch me in my balls and so I'm on the <laughs> ground and they tell me to stay down so every time I got up the offensive coach and I'm slow I was real slow I didn't realize that they were trying to get me to quit so I see the offensive coach go no nope, not done we gotta do it again so he ran to play 14 plays in a row at me and each time they're punching me and they're telling me to stay down and they're saying, welcome to Fohan. Stay down, Paulson. And P-Jack's stepping on my chest. And, you know, they're trying to fuck me up. So around play six or seven, I'm crying. I got tears. And I'm getting mad because I'm wondering why they keep running at me. And they keep saying the play's wrong. They keep scoring. <laughs> and they're <laughs> fucking me up. But they're they're trying to get me to quit. Yeah. So I didn't realize it, you know. On so pur- They're uh, doing it on purpose. So around play eight. I realized you're doing it on purpose. And the yeah. guys, I jump up and Jim Mariani tells the story. He's a senior. He's a three year varsity guy. He goes, cause Paulson, all I remember you doing is flipping off the whole team going, fuck you bitches. You don't hit hard. Bring it. And each time they kicked my ass, I was swinging. But the rest of the JVs started the Marauders. They called it back then. They started, uh, you know, getting behind me. You know, they were like, fuck this, man. They're fucking up. Paul. And the guys in the huddle each time were going, don't quit, Paulson. Don't quit. And I kept crying, you know, but I, I didn't quit. And after play 14, they said, all right, Paulson, you got to in the silence. But, you know, but they tried to get me to quit, yeah. and I didn't quit. And so I got slapped that same day, too, because I jumped off sides in a sprint. I didn't know what three was. I did, but I wasn't real savvy. I was just so mad and intense. So at the end of practice, we'd run hundreds. And if you wrap one guy jumps, we still had to run the hundred, but then we'd have to, uh, it didn't count. Oh. So it didn't stop if you jumped off sides. So now instead of running a <laughs> 10, yeah, now run 11. So everyone <laughs> on the team would be pissed. So you'd be this little freshman in green, sh- uh, red shorts, blue shorts, purple shorts, because that represented each junior high. And they would have your, uh, they would say, hey, uh, you're getting, uh, um, they go, put your hands behind your head. And the biggest, meanest fucking senior would walk up to you and crack you. And they'd say, welcome to full high when they slapped you. That was the little line they used on you when they punched in the balls or hit you yeah. in the face. You know, hey, walking fly. <laughs> you <laughs> fucking dicks. You know, but, but it made you tough. So either you know, either you were tough, and I was just like a thousand other guys. They were you, all the guys fun. I was just too stupid to know I was getting picked on. I didn't realize at the time. <laughs> anyway, another question. So that would that story. question. How how was the the Burbank game? The no rain.
0: Was it the Rainstorm. Oh, the game. monsoon game. Monsoon, the
1: yeah. monsoon game. The monsoon game was played in 1987 against the number one running back in the state. And they only had one tie on their record, and that was Redlands. And it was Russell White. He ended up going to Berkeley. And Ron Garringer was the running back's coach. And this guy was all American, all state running back. And the number one team in the nation. They'd won the CIF championship his sophomore year. So they thought for the next two years, he was just going to go on and kill people. So junior year they don't they lose in the semis. Senior year they're playing Fontaine in the semis. Which monsoon game is it? Uh, it's, uh, oh, 1982. Alright, well there were two monsoon games. So that was the eighty seven game. It's the nineteen eighty one game is the first time ever in California football it was bullshit. Um they canceled a game. They made they said it was too rainy. And it wasn't safe to play. We were playing Orange County. We were playing the number one team in the CIF, Servite. The quarterback was Steve Berline. He went on to be the quarterback for the Raiders. And he played at Notre Dame. He was a beast. He was at Servite. So he was a passing quarterback and had another guy named Butler. <clears throat> and I was a junior that year. And we were playing. And so on Friday night at five o'clock, they said the game's gonna be canceled. And it's on Thanksgiving weekend. So it's the day after Thanksgiving in 1981. So they canceled the game because they didn't want, they were a throwing team. Yeah. And they couldn't throw in the rain. Oh, man. So you talk about politics. So they make us come in the next day, play on a Saturday, and they beat us 21-13. And that's the monsoon game. So it's the first game ever that was canceled because of rain. Is that chicken shit? And that's how politics work. And the CIF did that because someone had power. So they would go on and win the CIF championship. But we could have beat them if we had played them in the rain. So they beat us 21-13. We played oh, at the yeah. San Anibal, and it was fucking amazing. it's tight. The crazy, but the, the mud was so thick that you were like, You remember how you get like that slick ran, stuff? That slick stuff, you and you were walking and not moving. That's how <laughs> <the field> <laughs> well, it felt. Was but they beat us, yeah. so oh, yeah, yeah. That's the first one. Once so again, second one was played in '87. That was crazy. We all had hefty bags on, and there's no way in hell Bruick was in touch. That and they went unbalanced, unbalanced. Two plays, Russell White went. I was standing in the end zone drinking blackberry and, and had a, a, a hefty bag over So We had to wear hefty bags. Stick your arms out Because you couldn't like, our raincoats Bradley and They ran He ran two plays And went for a touchdown He didn't score again Damn. But the first two plays Of the game He went fucking 40 yards 40 yards Touchdown And then we were like Oh shit We could be getting Our ass kicked in this one But anyway Redlands tied him That year 10 to 10 wiggle you, you coming back
0: Yeah we we'll go grab beer uh, There's no
1: more beers Huh No more beers huh.
0: I'm going to grab Alright God bless you
1: So we got What's next What's uh, the pizza chalet so in the day, in Do the 70s, sep- yeah, Pizza say Chalet, it. babe, that's right. So in the day, uh, Mizzouli's Pizza in the 70s was a spot that everyone went and they had a little restaurant inside. But in the 80s, my era, in like 79, 80 when a ninth grade, uh, Pizza Chalet had all these video games, Pac Man, you know, asteroids, and it was a place where everyone in town, downtown town, it's kind of where Rock Hyundai is now, yeah, okay, Braddy. So Pizza Chalet was where we'd go after the games. And there would be 2,000 people at the game. So as soon as the game was over, you go get pizza. That's where all the guys would hook up with the girls. The girls would hook up, all the hot chicks in town. I mean, Brad, it was like this walking. it's like at a concert, elbow to elbow. You couldn't get in the place, couldn't get out of the place. And the coaches had a special room in the back that they built just for the coaches and private parties in the back. And they would go back there and get taken care of. And everyone else had to sit up front. And in the back would be the coaches and the crazy shit. So that's just where they had all, the, and they did that for about five years, from like 79 to like 84, but it got so big that they started doing house parties at the Bruick's houses and the Fazio's houses the McKinney's. They would start going to those houses at Donnelly's, so that was a chalet, but for about five years it was a legendary, but it got so big that the coaches were tired of all the parents noticing the coaches were drinking probably, and they would watch them, you know what I mean, and then when they try to leave, it would just cause a lot of animosity, and then... The cops would hang out. But there was a great story in 79, 80, and they beat Redlands for the first time, that the police showed up there, put their sirens on, and rumor has it that the coaches had left Chalet and walked the Chirps bar for a mile and a half, and the police played their played their fire hydrants as they drank down the street and danced. As music was being played, and they were dancing down. They called it the Stroll, and they strolled down the street to, uh, to Chalet. <laughs> Is that crazy shit, dude? That's I mean, to the Chirps. Where there was another thousand people waiting for them, So, who knows? So, that's, I mean, those are stories. But we had our own airplane, Brad, that flew over games with digital writing. They rented for 125 bucks a week. It's would say beat the Terriers, you know, shoot the Eagles, you know, crazy shit, you know, just to tame the Tigers. All
0: right. what mm-hmm. else? Uh, one of mine is, um, it probably, honestly, it has nothing to do with football, I don't think, but. From what I hear about Faux High, what I hear and I think about the players that you played with, you guys were some crazy people, and you guys probably partied pretty fucking hard. So what the hell was it like at Jose's sleepover?
1: Well, that time I was nine. So Jose's sleepover and was uh, in the movie. I tell the story of my first football game I ever went to. So I was allowed to stay at my friend's house. I was nine years old, and that's the first time, other than my cousin's house, I was ever allowed to go to a friend's house and stay the night. So, uh, but I had to bring my little brother, Jimmy, mm. whose birthday was yesterday. He was a year younger than me. And Jose was uh, nine, and, and Alex's brother was 10. And so uh, his brother was part of the, uh, remember when the bridge collapsed in yeah. Corona about three years ago? Yeah. His brother was on that bridge, Alex. And he lost one of his eyes and everything. Him and my, Alex and Jose were my brother Jimmy's best friends. And in elementary, they were one of my best friends. But my brother and them stayed really, really close friends with them. And they lived together. They were all just great friends. So first time we're staying in the house, the night at his house, he lives like nine houses down from Fontana High School. It's a Friday night. Right, so we're walking home. We go into stop and go liquor. We buy a bunch of candy and chips. His mom's getting ready to cook my noodle and stuff like for the next day, and she's preparing all that shit. You know, that's the first time I've ever seen that Mexican dish. You know what I mean? She was real paizon. You know, she didn't mess around. You know, she Mm -hmm. cut it down, right? Pigs. She got down. Yeah, cow tongue, bratty pigs feet. I didn't know. know, I'm eating it, you know, tripe. So, anyway. Uh, we're dressing up in his mom's wigs and like uh, high heels and we would actually go out we were such good friends for like three years we would go earn money we would hustle money so bad as we would go down to the uh, to when they cash the checks on Thursdays at, at the at the liquor stores and collect beer bottles you know, just to get enough money so we could buy food and pizza and go to movies. But we would even sing Christmas carols. Go to the rich people's houses in Fontana. Little kids, and we'd dress up and go to people's house and knock on the door and do Christmas carols because we didn't go to those schools. We were to elementary away from other ones. No one knew us, right? So they would give us a dollar, $2, right? So we were singing Kiss songs because Kiss was real big. And we were his mom's makeup, and we put him stuff in. The, the closets were like sliding closets, so we took the doors off. And we had these platforms and we danced on it. So his mom kicks us out of the house about an hour later, at like 5 o'clock, 5.36. We go outside, we could hear the band. Because back then it was real clear, not a whole lot of traffic. We could hear the band playing, right? So as we hear the band, um, we um, go, what the fuck is that? Oh, the high school's playing tonight. And so I said, well, my cousin's the quarterback. (laughs) He goes, no, you're full of shit. I said, my cousin's a senior. He's a quarterback of High. So... We asked his mom if we could go to the game, and this is like early September, you know, and so it doesn't get dark till like 7.30 still, you know. So uh, we run to the game. They're coming out of the weight room, and we see my cousin, and we jump the fence, and we go to a game, and then, uh, you know, so we we would ask our family on Fridays when the, Fontana was playing home if we could stay at his house, and that's how we would get to go to the games. And we'd go jump the fences and stuff. We didn't have enough money if we didn't save it. So we would jump the fence and go and land into the planters. And on the visitor side, no one watched us. And we'd go, because back then they didn't mess with little kids. And so we, uh, we that's how we'd watch the games, you know, just to see the Fontana guys play. So that was the sleepovers at his house, little parties. But that we were like nine or 10 back then. We had other parties. The other one. That's funny. Is that funny? <laughs> that's a little story, huh? That's how, I, so we'd watch my cousin play. And when I'd see 5,000 people, cheering shared for him. And the announcer talking about Ham Rubin, Henderson, Gary Tate, Mike Fox. <coughs> All these guys were legends. We started playing football in their backyards. And I started watching football because I wanted people to cheer for me like they were cheering for my cousin. So when I grew up, I wanted to play football at high. That was my goal, you know, isn't that crazy? So uh um that's nuts, huh? So that's kind of the story. So we started playing in the schoolyards, and I just fell in love with football at that moment. And I was a better baseball player. But I wanted to play football. You know what I mean? It's crazy. So that's that story. What do you think, Brent? Give me one. So it's the Father's Day Breakfast 2000. Yeah. So in 2000 when Richard Smith took over, and that was the one I was telling you about where they had won five CIF championships in six years in the 90s. It was so crazy when he took over that people hated him, okay? And they hated him because the double wing, no one could stop the double wing. The only one that had success against the double wing was Fontana. At that year, Bob Stengel was fired because we got in a riot that year before, in 1999. You we were a little kid. We fought with uh, Loyola H- High School after the game at Pierce College in Ventura, um, way out in L.A. And there was a riot in the game, and six of their coaches got caught on our side, and four of them got put in the hospital. And the LAPD had to come in with billy clubs, and they fired all the coaches and expelled 33 football players. Okay, so and one expanded, one arrested. And they fired all the coaches, and they, they paid Loyola Mary, Mary, uh, Loyola High School, Braddy, $300,000. They had to pay him. And we had depositions and everything. So the next year they come in, they say they don't want to violate. it. They let all the kids come back from continuation schools to play football. Richard Smith comes in. He's a Redlands kid. Remember how I told you they hated Redlands? So he comes in, but he's just won five CIF championships in six years. So they hate him so bad that on Father's Day, which is coming up this week, in 2000, so that's 20 years ago, wow, that's 20 years ago, almost to the T, he sets up this full contact clinic, and no one lets their kids leave on Father's Day, so on Father's Day morning, I I left you at Barb's house, Jeff Green picks me up, Was our roommate, he's head coach at Cajon, now he's the head coach at at, uh, Polytech High School in Fort Lauderdale, Texas, so he picks me up at Barb's house, and another coach, and we drive to Fontana, so I see 50 players, 100 parents, and we're getting on a bus, and we're driving to Fresno State to play, and that's where I got the name The Foe. That's what I came up with The Foe that night. Because on Father's Day 2000, Braddy, um, we played in the clinic, and that night we had a beer saw show. They called it the pony uh, the pony games. They play these pony games. So the coaches would take out all the coaches. And you know who the grad assistant was? I want to say Lane Kiffin was the grad assistant at Fresno State that year, I want to say, in 2000. Anyway, they had to watch the kids. I'm pretty sure he was there. He was there one of those years. So, uh, anyway, Braddy, that's where the foe came from. Their coach said to me, he says something to me. He says, uh, instead of calling us foe high, we're drinking that night. I go to the bar to get another pitcher. This big old yoked out trainer says, hey, man. He goes, what the? He says, uh, you from the foe? i think like, What the fuck's the foe? He goes, faux high, faux whatever. I go, yeah, so what? He goes, didn't your coach leave last year? This is on Father's Day that night. I said, yeah, Stengel left. He goes, no, not, not that coach, the other one. Bruick. Yeah, he's been gone for a year. He looks at me, he goes, you guys will never win another game again. You guys are done. And so right now, we're almost swinging at the bar. I'm talking shit to him, and he's a little bigger than me. And the coaches come over, they grab me. And we're almost fighting with the staff at Fresno State. So, but he was right, because Pat Hill was friends with Dick Bruick, and they were good friends, and I, he knew Bruick really well. And Fontana, 20 years in a row, we won that year, 6-4, and four, and we lost on a coin flip, and the streak ended, Braddy, on a coin flip. And if Richard would have went and pitched it, we still could have been a wild card team. So to make a long story short, the longer he, uh, Fontana has not had a winning season, Braddy, or made the playoffs in 20 years since that, since the, that thing. Is that crazy? Father's Day. When's Father's Day? Coming next week, right? Next week. Yeah, so it's almost a twenty year anniversary.
0: Got another question. Where'd Matt go? Uh we don't know. He he's probably back right now, but I have one more mm-hmm. question for you. It's uh it's my last question. Okay. Um the rematch, Edison, semis. Semi-finals, I'm believing that that's what that yeah, has to be with. That is So semi-final. Uh, what was that game like for you?
1: That's the 1989 game.
0: Not even just the game, but how was
1: preparing for that game? Well, I was in college, so I was playing. It was not my team. It was so funny. So in 79, it was deja vu. In 79, Fontana was the number one de- defense in the state and, and ranked top two or three in the state. And they get to play Edison. But Edison was had a running back named and Belt and they had a linebacker named Ray Malavese. It was Ray Malavese's son. Ray Malavese, which you guys don't know, was the head coach of the L.A. Rams. So he plays, he's on the L.A. Rams. He pops off and says that Fontana plays a bunch of nobodies, Bernardino, in, in the L.A. Times. And he's the coach from the Rams, the head coach of the Rams. But his son's a linebacker, at an O-lineman at Edison. They had the best running back in the state. But they had lost two games. Hawthorne and someone else. So, uh, Kerwin bell belt, they both ended up going to Kansas legit players. I mean, he, he was, he broke, he was the number two running back in college as a freshman behind Herschel Walker. Oof. That's how good he was in 80, but then he never went on to play anymore. Curran Bell. So anyway, he, um, number two running back. So look at, he, uh, he says something. So Chuck Knoll for the Pittsburgh Steelers sends us a telegram wishing us good luck. So we play him at uh, citrus college. I'm in ninth grade. And they beat them, Edison beats the shit out of us. Beat us 35-14. So 10 years later, it's deja vu. And we got 150 alumni on the sidelines. They bring 150 alumni on their sidelines. There's 12,000 people at the game, okay? And Edison's, and they're playing us, and it's it's like deja vu, 10 years later. It's the first time we've played Edison again since they beat us 10 years earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So we'd already won see our championship. We're already ranked number one in the state. And they're beating us 28-0, Braddy, or 28-7. They're lighting us up. And their fans start chirping, Braddy. Mm-hmm. And we're, I'm standing in the end zone with all my, I'm playing college, you know, at the time. I'm in the end zone, and Braddy, their fans are going overrated, overrated. You know, 5,000 people cheering. And they're mocking our fucking, uh, our uh, chain gang guys. Malavasi's son's mocking, I'll bet you 400 bucks we'll whip your ass. You know, they're trying to bait our chain gang guys to, uh, you know, betting them on a game. So one of the guys takes a bet with one of the guys. And anyway, so we're down 28-7 at uh, halftime. And uh, we come in, and, you know, they're passing all over us. We come back to tie the game. That run you saw on the highlights where he hits that guy. Yeah, yeah. That was the run that gave us the lead. OK, that took the lead in the game. That's in the highlights. That's the mm-hmm. Edison game in the highlights, that run where he's reversed, pivots, and comes back. Mm-hmm. So they go on to tie the game. And then Edison takes the lead, 35-35. And then we tie him again on that run. Okay, And then Edison's got the ball. Mm-hmm. So Edison's got the ball. And they're scoring. They're going down the score, Braddy. Like a minute, two minutes left in the game. We pick six it, run it back for a touchdown to win the game, and the people run onto the fucking field. That's how we win the game. They drove around two plays here at the 50-yard line. They get on the 20, boom, the 35, they're on the 50, and they're getting ready to score, and there's like a minute left in the game. I can't remember, Efren, uh, one of the guys picks it off, comes down the sidelines, Browdy untouched, all the way blocks him, and we go in, and there's like 15, 20 seconds left in the game. And we win the game now. And the people have, the I people have. run onto the field. It's legendary. So then we go on to play Sanji, who's Ron Rivers, who played backup for Barry Sanders for uh many years, and played at Fresno State and his son, like so I said, was a running back a year or two ago. And we played them in the Seattle championship. And and our and the game we played in league game was like 27-24. So it was a really close league game. I was a close game. So then they go in the playoffs, they beat everyone. We go on the playoffs, and we had to play in Anaheim. They said there was almost 30,000 people at that high school game. They had to play the game at Angel Stadium, 29,000. We we beat them 21-0 or something like that. So it was crazy. That's the fans. Anyway, that's the picture of the game from from the from the stands. That's that's all the people. Three decks up. All right, so one other question, Brad, give it to me. Matt, Matt disappeared on us. Um, What is the race about? The race? Just says the race. What year? Is it?
0: Nope. It's like one of the it says opening credits, coaches, the race.
1: Oh yeah. The race. That's funny. That's a nineteen that's in nineteen ninety nine, Braddy. Mm-hmm. And rest his soul. Kevin Grapp, Braddy, you don't remember Kevin. Remember the real Beth White guy? He was a trainer. He played at Vermont University. He was a track star. He was a, he was a trainer, but he was buff yoked out, dude. And he put his kids in boxing, and he was just Brad. He was such a badass. So uh, we Stengel takes over, and we're ranked, and we're playing uh, Mercedes Lewis, still playing in the pros, and we're playing Long Beach Poly. So we barely lose to Long Beach Poly, and and then we lose three more in a row. So now we went from four and oh to four and four. So if we don't, so we win the next game, we have to beat Redlands. Uh, if we don't beat Redlands. Um, and it's the last game of the year, My uh, his uh, 1999, it's Stangles coach. If we don't beat Redmond, so DeAndre Alexander, who's the best receiver on our team, uh, had hurt himself against A.B. Miller, and we lost that game on the last play of the game too. So we'd lost three close games, Valley View, A.B. Miller, Long Beach Poly, Ike. So four in a row. And, you know, we're slipping. So if we don't win these games. So we win two, but we still got to beat Redmond. Right? So, um, He wants to play in the game, Brad. And the coach says, you can't play. You missed practice Monday and Tuesday. He goes, no, coach, I was getting treatment. I I was here. I stood on the sidelines. He goes, but you didn't practice. He goes, yeah. But but his receiver coach says, well, coach, he was still here. So technically, he was getting treatment. He goes, I want to play. And he goes, well, we're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, He goes, well, maybe next week. He goes, coach, if we don't win this week, there is no next week. And we're sitting the coach off going, he's got a point. We don't win this week. There is no next week. (laughs) So... Kevin Graff, the trainer, says, No, he's not healthy enough to play. So he begs Stangle if he can play. Stangle says, I'm going to leave it up to Graff. It's Graff's call because he's a trainer. Graff goes, Okay, you got a pulled hamstring? All right. You beat me in a 40 yard dash. And Kevin used, and he's 50 years old, Braddy, and he still ran like a 4'6. He was a badass, yoked out white dude. So the whole team lines up, 80 players, Bradley, and they have to race. And there's a girl trainer at the end. And this 50-year-old trainer is racing this high school kid, and he beats him by a step because he was hoping he was going to pull his hamstring. He said, okay, well, if you can beat me in a 40-yard race, he goes, no problem. So so DeAndre Alexander gets dressed up, takes his shoulder pads off. He goes, Graf, I'll even keep my football pads on, his pants on. So he ran the race with his pants on and grass and shorts. But mind, you know, he's 17, Graf's 50. But I'm gonna tell you what, man. That old man was fucking stride for stride with his ass. So he beat him by a step, and Stangle out of play, and that was the race. So that's a badass story, right
0: Old men are badass. That's one. Of, that's funny. Like so, a lot of people always like try to discredit old men. Man, I ran a, I ran a four, I ran a four four in high school, and I was fast. Like I was fast. But like still to this day, and I love him. I give him credit. Like anything else. My dad still to this day I cannot run that no more. <laughs> I don't even know if I can push a four nine. Nah, yeah, I'll probably run a four nine. But my dad still right now at forty seven years old is running a four seven. Yeah. Like God, now, now I beast.
1: play I play in a uh, fifteen and older World Series baseball, and I play uh in forty five and older, and we played last year in the forties. Uh. There's a, there's a 50 year old he's 56 year old a Mexican dude I play in the Mexican league Brody dude I guarantee he's running a 4.8 still and he's 56 years old plays outfield and he steals bases on young guys You're 32 and you I couldn't believe what these guys are so you know if you stay in shape you know and round is a shape I'm staying in shape so round is a shape but, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you'll be alright you right, said Brad. round is a shape so. so that's a little bit about the foe and the movie script I, I want to give you one more story Okay, uh, what it's like to, to write a script? See, okay, real quick. No, I never my last. Person. I never wrote a script before, so what you have to do is I had to get the. I got went to the library and I, I found out how to do uh, uh screenwriters for dummies. Is Matt here yet? He's back. Oh, what happened He's out. He's calling his girl. Check check. Yeah, somebody.
0: he's talking to some type of a girl. He's talking check, to some check. girl.
1: So look at screenwriters for dummies. So I learned how to write a script. I get this guy. I spent a year and a half. And I get it done. Then I hired this girl named Stephanie Spotelli. Her, I played baseball. With her uh, uncle in Chicago. She was in Texas. She was so smart. She, she finished school as a junior. She went to SC. Went to the screenwriter school at USC. Mm-hmm. And she went and changed my script and cleaned it up. So she helped screen it up. I paid her a couple thousand dollars. She, she, she uh, cleaned it up. And. Um, and then she got married. I helped her get this job on how to make, you guys say, you know the video games you guys play? She now designs and codes video games. And I helped her get this job, and she was going to help me with the script. She got married, went to England. I haven't heard from her. So I wanted to finish the whole thing, but it's a tough project when you're doing a movie. So it took about three or four years, but then you got to go pitch it. So the first time I go to pitch it, um, I'm I lose three houses, five cars, and I'm living on my brother's couch. My brothers calling me names. We're getting mad at me because I'm not working, and Braddy's moved in with Anthony. And my brother goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" Every day I'd go work out. I was keeping my mind and body strong. I go to Redlands uh, Smiley Library, and I started finishing the script up. And so I saved up and up money. I did a couple paint jobs, and I said, "I'm going to this pitch fest." And I go to the pitch fest. And I get Francis Ford Coppola's company, FR Productions, which is Fred Roos, which is a partner, FR Productions. I go there, I have to get a, a a train ticket for 25 bucks round trip to Burbank. I only have $300 left after I paid for my thing. So I can only have enough for a hotel for one night. Okay. So I got a hotel for one night. The second night, I had to sleep in a Del Taco to make my pitch. Okay. That's how, hey, look at, it, I'm telling you, I'd lost everything. I went from like, you know, making over 100 grand a year, having houses, won a $110,000 lawsuit. And, and then I, uh, you know, I, I I lost it all. So I I said I'm going to do this anyway. So I went and cleaned up in the bathroom in that morning. You know, the second night, and I went and made my pitch, and I pitched it to this huge company, and they, uh, you know, they called me. Then I took the I took the bus back, and I got on a bus that morning, and then I got into a train and came back to my brothers, and then I took another bus, and I barely had like 15, 20 bucks, and but you know what? I wanted to pitch the story. So when you're going to do something, you're passionate about it, you just have to believe in yourself. I didn't know how to pitch the story, I didn't know how to do that, but I I, I knew the story was great. Yeah. And they're going to rewrite it, and they can change it, but you know, and they're going to chop it up, crop it up, do whatever they want. But now, well, it's eventually someone's going to say yes. And when they say yes, it's like my buddy used to tell me, if you stir the pot enough, everything turns into soup. So it's like anything, if you keep stirring it it's gonna eventually it's gonna turn into soup you know what I mean so you know what I mean it's like when you chew something in your mouth right you chew it enough it's gonna turn into liquid okay so I just keep throwing it out there to the universe and you know right now I sent it to a uh, you know Dan Patrick and I sent it to ESPN and, and these guys so I had Netflix four years ago I made a mistake they contacted me and the guy didn't read the script and I was so offended that he didn't read the script I cussed them out and hung up on them, and they were pitching it to Netflix. And now they came up with that All American, and they probably could have been me. But I didn't realize Netflix was as big as they would. I wanted to make a feature movie, and they had contacted me, and uh, small studios had contacted me, sports Studios, you know. They, but they wanted the full rights, hundred thousand dollars, fifty thousand, and they wanted me to walk away. I, I just wanted to be made. It takes five to thirty million to make a movie. Yeah. They already think you're fucking batshit crazy. When you ask to write a movie, five or thirty million. So you just gotta believe that someone's gonna invest in that. They're gonna make their money, and you know, I'll do it for a shortcut. So anyway, thanks. That was a question. So that's the photo fo- That's script. So pitch fest. if you ever got an idea, documentary or movie? These things are called pitch fest. The Great American Pitch Fest. The Hollywood Pitch Fest. Uh, there's the Sundance Pitch Fest. Go to them. They cost about three to six hundred bucks. Pitch your ideas, but find out who's gonna be there. And, and then you just you gotta believe in it. And if someone buys a dude, it's worth it. It's the way you get out there. I had a lady one time stop me at Santa Anita, Santa Anita a racetrack. I was with Don, and the lady comes out, Bratty, and she says she was with Paramount. She, and she stopped me, and I go, I go. Uh, she goes, I know you. I go, you do. She goes, you wrote a book, a movie, right? I go, yeah. She goes, yeah. Uh, we looked at your uh, script. So from the Hollywood Pitch Fest, this lady. They had brought it back to her, and she knew me by my picture and the video. And, she, and asked on, she says, Yeah, we looked at your script, but we passed on it. But we, we liked uh, a lot of things. We just, you know, it needed some stuff. And I said, That's fine. But she knew me from me from a pitch fest from one of their people taking it. And she goes, Yeah, we liked your story. So that was, you know, so you never know who you run across is totally good. Anyway, that's the story. Brad, thank you. Cracked the brew, smoked a few. Gabe, thank you. Matt, thank you. you. MIA,
0: yeah, MIA. M-I-A-, yeah, M-I-A- Alright. Matt talks too many girls, it's not his fault. Cracker Brew.